Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in African-American Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Adrian King, the co-host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Adrian Marie Brown about her book that she has both written and edited, titled Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so I was wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself um, and about the work that you do. I am a writer um, based out of Detroit, Michigan, and I write mostly based on experiences that I have gained from doing facilitation in social justice movement work. I've been facilitating social justice movements for the last 20-ish years, 21 years now, and uh, facilitation meaning just um, being the person who helps hold and guide meetings and gatherings and um, processes for groups and alliances, coalitions, organizations who are trying to um, bring more justice and liberation primarily to black communities, black spaces. And I have published um, four books now, um, and the latest of which is Pleasure Activism, which I think we're gonna be talking about today. Yes, um, and we're actually going to cut to the chase. Um, can you tell us what pleasure activism is um, and also tell us about how you came to this concept? So pleasure activism is a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment, um, or pleasure is a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment, and activism is the efforts that we make to um, change and improve society. So pleasure activism is the work we do to reclaim our whole and happy and satisfiable selves from the impacts and delusions and limitations of oppression or supremacy. Um, It asserts that we all need and deserve pleasure and that our social structures must reflect this. And it pays attention to all the power dynamics that already exist and all the pleasures that exist. So it's not just sex and drugs, which a lot of people think when they first hear it but it can be poetry, cooking, eating, running around and playing with children, um, working out, um, stillness, quiet. It's really touching into the part of ourselves that can remember what it means to be satisfied, which in a lot of ways our current economic system of capitalism denies us that experience of satisfaction because if we're not satisfied, we'll keep purchasing, right? So we want to return that sense of satisfaction to us And it's also how do we make justice and liberation the most pleasurable experiences we can have on this planet rather than feeling like, oh, it's such hard work to do that. It's better to just, you know, dissociate and, you know, go watch television for 20 hours a day. (laughs) So trying to bring people (laughs) back into what does it look like to be in community with each other, to cooperate with each other. And I think the ideas from it, um, you know, they came from a lot of different places, but the lineage I mostly name for it is Audre Lorde's text, The Uses of the Erotic as Power, which was an eight-page essay that she published in August of 1978. And 
It really asserts this idea that once we experience erotic awakening, it becomes impossible to then self-negate or settle for suffering. And I kept reading that text and noticing that in movement spaces, particularly in spaces where people are trying to create more justice, we were involved in a lot of self-negation and a lot of suffering as a badge of honor or suffering as a badge of existence. And I started to think, what would it look like if we were actually building movements that felt like the, the futures we wanted to create that felt pleasurable? Do we even know what pleasure is? Do we understand that pleasure has been intentionally denied to us um, as one of the sort of spoils of capitalism? So, uh, so those are some of the places where the ideas are rooted. So tell us about um, taking these ideas, um, your thought processes, and and turning them into the book, Pleasure Activism. Um, What was the process like of selecting some of the previous pieces that you had written, as well as um, soliciting and selecting um, pieces from other folks as well? So I knew that I wanted to um, flesh out this idea. I had spoken about it in my previous book, Emergent Strategy, and I had written about it over the years, pleasure activism, and played with the idea. Um, and so then it was like, okay, I think I really actually want to flesh this out into a full book-length project and explore it. Um, and around that time, I got asked to do a column at Bitch Magazine um, and that we called The Pleasure Dome. And it was really just, you know, initially a column about sex and pleasure. Um, but about three columns into it, all the Me Too work started to break open and change the entire landscape of conversation around sex and consent and pleasure and what do we have the right to do in our bodies and what do we communicate. And um, and suddenly it was like uh, the landscape shifted so that people could see so much harm is being done in the name of pleasure that actually has nothing to do with pleasure. That's all about power dynamics. So the column really shifted and it became, oh, what are the tools and skill sets that we need to have as human beings in order to navigate a landscape that is not riddled with the assumption that everyone is going to be sexually assaulted in their lifetime, which is kind of how I (laughs) have approached my life. It's like that Mm -hmm. happens to everyone, right? Like everyone I know has experienced this. Um, so it's like, well, what would, what skills would we all need to have in order to move to a different reality? And I started writing those columns. And so that is a large portion of what ended up in the book. Um, there's some of the columns that I wrote for that, that uh, for the Pleasure Dome that I didn't end up including in the book, but a lot of them are in there. Um, and most of my content is either, either from the Pleasure Dome or from blog entries um, that I had written over the years about what pleasure activism is, what it looks like in practice. Um, and then I generated some original content that I wasn't able to find from other people or that I hadn't written about myself that felt really important to include, like a piece about squirting and like <laughs> all, almost all bodies can ejaculate and what is the politic that makes us think only some can and most can't and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and then um, as I was writing it, there were also pieces that I felt were important to include from other people who I have learned from. Um, in my life and who are in the organizing world, um, but doing very particular work around healing in the realms of sex or pleasure or drugs or other things. So some of those pieces were uh, like Amita Swadin, who has done incredible work around unveiling the roots of childhood sexual trauma. And they have been um, doing that work through theater, through workshops, through storytelling, through sharing the narrative of their own lives 
and through actually going up against um, Congress, you know, going into Congress and testifying about the kind of harms that have happened in their life. So I wanted a piece from Amita that talked about um, how do you reclaim pleasure when you have experienced childhood sexual abuse? Um, I included a piece from Chanel Gallant about sex work and how sex work intersects with pleasure. Um, because I think what I see so often is there's such an assumption that sex work could never possibly be pleasurable and that, there's, that, that people don't understand that almost all of us are involved in using our bodies as a form of labor, as a place of labor, and getting paid for the labor that our bodies are able to do. And how can we start to have a different understanding of the power and pleasure that can come from sex work? Um, and another interview that I had was with Monique Tula, who's now running the Harm Reduction Coalition. And I love the Harm Reduction Coalition. I got to work there for a couple of years when I was in my early 20s. And it really framed my political approach to life so much because the idea is rather than pushing for abstinence and a denial of the need for substance use and for, you know, sometimes people just need to get high. We live in a society that is very, very difficult to survive in and not giving people any space or allowance for giving themselves some self-medication, some self-support. Um, there's so much judgment and prison and death that comes along with it instead of saying, we actually know how this can be done safely. How do we reduce the harm that comes from using these substances? How do we acknowledge the social conditions that guide people into substance use rather than, you know, what I've seen in my own life. I had an aunt who was a crack user for, you know, most of my adult life. That was what I was aware of happening with her. And what, you know, it's just like everyone was judging her and, oh, she shouldn't be doing that. There's something wrong with that, da, da, da. But, but very few people were able to say, and we can come and actually help support the entire structures of your life and help you heal from the harms that have happened in your life that have led to this place, right? Um, mm -hmm. So harm reduction looks at that. It's like, how do we actually start to shift society? And how do we give people the, the personal power and agency to move inside of society in ways that they need to? So Monique has been taking that work in a really powerful direction. So I just started gathering in pieces and mm -hmm. starting to weave them together um, until I had what felt like clear sections. And it was a lot more about sex than I expected it to be, but I feel good about that. <laughs> and, um, you know, so there's like a lot about sex, some about drugs, and then I include a section that's more like lifestyle, you know, the pleasure of fashion, the pleasure of um, growing older and still being in a body that can can experience a ton of pressure, pleasure, you know, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I want to read off the the names of the different sections for our audience, and then maybe you could um, just pick one and, and say a little bit more about it or what you were thinking. Um, so section one is who taught you to feel good. Section two is the politics of radical sex. Section three is a circle of sex. Section four is the politics of radical drug use. And section five is a ple is pleasure, um, pleasure as political practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there, um, do you have a favorite section maybe, or a section that stands out to you or, or maybe one that was even difficult to kind of wrangle and conceptualize? Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, I think that um, both for myself and what I've experienced as I've been touring the book and talking about the book to people is that the politics of radical sex section is really, really um, impactful for people um, because I think there's this idea of, 
sexual harm is an unbreakable cycle. And then in that section, I feel like um, the skills that it takes are actually learnable, right? So it's like, oh, like my fantasy life has been shaped by a society that does not love and care about me. And that leads to harmful behaviors to myself. And that leads to harmful desires, right? That we're cultivating desires that lead to harm. So there's a whole piece in there about how much of the porn industry is dedicated to basically childhood sexual abuse, incest, molestation, stories of very old and very young love affairs, things that, um, you know, if we pull them into the light are actually setting the stage for a lot of sexual harm to happen to children for the sex slavery industry, all these things, right? And it's like now we have more and more young people who are experiencing sex for the first time through the lens of pornography and through the lens of the internet. So how do we start to understand, like we have a society whose fantasy world is shaped towards childhood sexual abuse and incest and harm. And then how do we begin the work of decolonizing and reclaiming our fantasy life and starting to put ourselves, put adult bodies, put black bodies, put fat bodies, put real bodies into our fantasy lives. Um, how do we learn the practices of consent and know that consent can change at any moment? How do we learn the skills to use our voice? You know, there's a piece that I wrote um, after the Aziz Ansari case broke when I read, uh, not the case, you know, that story broke. And when I was reading that story, I was like, I, this feels familiar. <laughs> this feels like a lot of bad dates that I've been on. And, mm. what was, you know, I started to internalize, like, what, what could have shifted the conditions for me? What could shift the conditions for so many women? Because I think so often we are waiting for those who have been perpetuating harm to suddenly transform and change and grow and, like, stop causing harm. And I, I feel very little faith that that's going to happen without us um, those of us who have been in the you know traditional role of victim are seen in that victim role without taking on a different skill set and a different empowerment in our bodies and ourselves and our lives. So I started being like, yeah, I, how many times have I been in a situation where I didn't know how to use my voice, where I sat and let something happen that I felt uncomfortable with or unsafe in, and I let it perpetuate because I just did not, literally could not figure out how to get the words to come out of my mouth to say no, to say, I don't want to do that, to say, I'm not interested. So there's a lot of stuff like that that's very tangible. And I think that that section really resonates with people. Um, but I'd say my favorite piece in the book is probably from my friend, Alana David Cyril, who passed away um, October of last year. And she writes about pleasure while living with cancer. And um yeah, I think that that piece, that's the one I've read the most and I refer to the most that, you know, pleasure is something to be grabbing and cultivating in the here and now. And that, you know, she talks about just like cancer, cancer is hard and letting cancer be hard and still continuing to move towards pleasure. And I feel like that's so much of what our lives are like right now is capitalism is hard, fascism is hard, poverty is hard, war is hard, disappearing black women is hard, police brutality is hard. And we fight against those things, but we don't deny ourselves the beautiful part of life that makes us want to continue, that makes us want to compel into the future. So uh, that piece really stands out to me. And, and I, I probably read it, I've read it the most of any of the pieces that I've done um, mm -hmm. at these events, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, so we're going to wrap up soon, but um, I just have two more questions for you. Um, and the okay. last book question is, um, what do you want people to get out of reading this book? Um, maybe in one or two sentences, what do you want their main takeaways to be? I want people to understand that pleasure is accessible to them, that they have a right to it, and that the places where we are building the future together should feel good. They should feel like an invitation. Um, that we need more and more people to want to enter movement and want to enter a future together. That's so great. And um, maybe you can tell us where people can follow your work. Um, where is the best place to learn more about pleasure activism or just to see the variety of other projects that you have going on? That's great. So pleasure activism, the book, um, is our Instagram account for things that are related to the book. And I'm starting to uplift more and more work there from the different contributors and different people who are being um, inspired by the book and, and moving projects out into the world. So on Instagram, Pleasure Activism, the book. And then I'm on Instagram at Adrian Marie Brown. Um, and I post a ton of different projects there. So that's the place to kind of see the intersections of my different work. Um, and then the akpress.org is a great place to get this book and also get a bunch of other books that are interesting and related. Um, Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samar Sinha, who has a piece in the book about care as pleasure, um, talks, she has a whole book called Care Work that just came out this past year that's all about disability justice and care and community and pleasure and all of it. Um, and there's more and more work that's coming out from AK related to these topics. So those are some places to look. Okay, awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, we know you are very busy, <laughs> so we really appreciate your time <laughs> to talk to us. Um, and hopefully oh, thank you. Um, li listeners will go out there and buy this book. I think it's um, really great. Thank you. Thank you.